In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is The Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome in. We are, uh, I, I think I'm going to have to start opening these shows, Jesse, just by how many weeks until spring ball, because that's kind of what we're all waiting for here. Uh, we, uh, as we record this on, what is today, Wednesday, Wednesday morning, we are four weeks away, roughly four weeks away. Oh, five weeks, I think. I don't know what you're talking about, Zach. I actually have a countdown clock on top <laughs> of my uh, wall here in my office, electronically yep. counting down to the second, kind of like, <laughs> a, you know, you might have a beat Michigan or a beat Ohio State clock. It just says Luke Fickle's first spring practice. Right. Well, hey. I need, I might need to go buy myself one of those for sure. Um, so it says, so it's about five weeks. All right. So either way, we have, we still have some time here, but, um, what we got, uh, since the last time we talked, uh, is we're getting starting to talk with some of the assistant coaches that, uh, of the new staff and they're all guys that we've never talked to before. Obviously we got to talk to Phil Longo and Mike Trussell in January, but, uh, we hadn't had a chance to talk with any of the assistants yet that started this week with wide receivers coach Mike Brown and safeties coach and co-defensive coordinator uh, Colin Hischler. So those those are the two guys we got to talk to. Um, I know you wrote about the wide receivers, so let's start there. They have a whole bunch of new guys in that room. Uh, we know the transfers with uh, C.J. Williams and Bryson Green, Will Pauling, and Quincy Burroughs. So you have those four guys. You add them to a room that returns Skyler, your, your top guys, Skylar Bell and Chimray D.K., and Keontes Lewis, and it is a group that, you know, has a lot more numbers at it. And I think we, I think we kind of knew this. Like they, they needed, to, they needed to add to the room, not just because they wanted an influx of talent. I think there's talent in that room, but they needed more of it because they're going to be playing more guys. What did you get from Mike Brown, and exactly how many guys we could see being involved from that position on a week to week basis? Well, that's exactly what I wrote about for this week and, and having the chance to talk to it's Mike weird. Brown was, yes, it's a good segue um, because we have this discussion every year about Wisconsin's wide receivers when we talk about potential and we list all these players and we hear that the whatever wide receivers coach is in place at the time wants to use more guys. And what inevitably happens is you see the same two or three guys <laughs> running routes on Saturdays. And that's not always an awful thing because I, I think what we saw from DK Bell and Lewis last season was maybe quietly productive. Um, I mean, they did a lot of damage, 97 catches, 1446 receiving yards and 14 touchdowns, but it also spoke to just the complete drop off behind those three. And some of the numbers that I, I put in the story, just speak to that in terms of how often those guys were targeted those three guys were targeted a total of 174 times. Every other offensive player on the entire team was targeted a, whole, a total of 132 times. And the number four wide receiver in terms of targets was Dean Ingram. He had 17. Marcus Allen, who entered the transfer portal seven games into the season, was fifth with 14 targets. No other wide receiver was even targeted. So I think that speaks to what part of what the philosophical change is going to be here. But it begins with the depth to your point. They've got 12 scholarship wide receivers right now. They opened preseason practice last season with nine. And Mike Brown said that he had pretty candid conversations with the returning wide receivers to make it clear that 
they're bringing in transfer portal guys, but it's not like they're bringing them in to say, we have to replace you. It's we need to add to this group because he, in a perfect world, would like to have six wide receivers ready is what he said. Now, that, I don't know that we're going to see six wide receivers getting an even number of targets, but the difference this year to me, and this is part of what I wrote about, is that it feels probable this year as opposed to this theoretical idea of actually seeing more wide receivers you've got the three guys that have a ton of experience a ton of production from this past season you add in bryson green who to me is immediately a top line wide receiver based on his production at oklahoma state and there are still some unknowns but cj williams obviously the highest rated wide receiver that they've gotten if you include his high school ranking and a bunch of other guys with talent so i think we're going to see the wealth spread a whole lot more because of the numbers, because of the talent, because of what offensive coordinator Phil Longo wants to do to get the ball in the hands of his playmakers. Okay, so six guys, right? Top six. Who are they going to be? We we think we know five, right? We think we know the three returning guys in DK, Bell, and Keontas Lewis. We think we know Bryson Green. Mm-hmm. We think we know C.J. Williams. It's a Who's question six? mark for me. It's even CJ Williams is a, is a question mark for me only in the yep. sense that he's the, he's not proven, even right. though he's got, to me, he's got the highest ceiling of any wide receiver in the group, just because yep. of what we thought was possible out of high school. He played 50. It, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to add before you get into it, that when I, when I talk about the five, I'm doing it based on what we all think, right? We don't sure. know exactly what it's going to look like. I, when we talked to Skylar Bell on Kenny or high a couple weeks back, we asked him like about the same stuff, the wide receivers and and who's going to be there and, and whatever. And he said, instead of it just being, you know, three, 11 and 13, you're going to see four and eight out there and four and eight would be CJ Williams and Bryson green. So that's, that's where I'm kind of coming from when I, when I include CJ Williams in it, along with the, obviously the talent that we yeah. saw coming out of high school. So that's, that's where I was coming from when I, when I included CJ Williams. Is Marcus Allen number four? He is not anymore. Okay. He got, uh, he lost his number when he moved. Uh, okay. When he, when he went uh, to the transport, I believe he is now number 14. Got it. Um, yeah. And that's all fair. Like I would certainly expect CJ Williams to be in there, but there is a, a part of me that's got a, a question on, well, what, what does it actually look like with him just because he's unproven? He played 58 offensive snaps last season, but assuming those are the top five guys and you, you still need to find a sixth. I don't know the answer on this one. Um, because I think there's a number of options and I think people have wondered where Marcus Allen stands in this. And I asked Brown about it. And so he confirmed that Marcus is still around going to be there for spring practice that he's talked to him. And I think Marcus felt comfortable coming back in part because this staff actually offered him a scholarship when they were at Cincinnati. Allen was a, a, an Ohio kid, but I can't say definitively it's going to be him. He's got to go out and prove it. I think the other options here that at least seem reasonable to me are, so Will Pauling, he played 125 snaps last season at Cincinnati. I do wonder where Vin, Vinny Anthony could fit in because even though he didn't get any targets last season, he did actually play 36 snaps and they used him on three jet sweeps. Those would be the ones that I initially think would be vying for that number six spot. And certainly you could go down the list. Chris Brooks Jr. earned high praise from teammates during bowl prep in December, but I haven't seen him at all. Um, you know, right. Quincy Burroughs is another transfer who's coming in, but he didn't really play last season at all other than a handful of snaps in the bowl game. So that's kind of where I'm at. But even the fact that we're going down the depth chart and having this conversation about who number six could be is a drastic improvement from where we've been before, because 
I legitimately believe that those top five that we mentioned are going to get a ton of run. And even if it takes away opportunities for Skyler or Keontes or, or Chimre, uh, that that only means there are more opportunities for someone like a Bryson or a CJ. And I, I would like to think that those guys would welcome that from a sense that it will make the wide receiver group and the offense that much more dangerous because you have more options. Do you think the Cincinnati guys coming in because mm-hmm. of their familiarity with Mike Brown, and I also thought it was noteworthy that uh, trying to think it was Hitchler or Brown saying melding the two offenses, Cincinnati and North Carolina together. I thought that was notable when he said that. I don't know exactly what that means, but either way, do you think there's any kind of advantage if you're Will Pauling or Quincy Burroughs because of the no the known factor with Mike Brown? Oh, I have to believe that that is a factor in some regard, just because you know what Mike Brown expects, you know, his coaching style, you know, his teaching points. Having said that, they're still coming into a brand new offense like everyone else that starts with what Phil Longo wants to do. Now, ultimately, I assume Brown will be the one pulling the trigger on deciding who goes into what groupings or who is his top six. I think it they start spring with a little bit of an advantage, but I also wonder whether that's negated to some degree just because everybody is learning a new offense at the same time. Yeah, they are. So the the other thing that stood out to me wide receiver-wise was uh, a, I think a, a couple days before, no, a day before we talked to these guys, <clears throat> Brady Collins put out uh, a tweet, as he's known to do, with um mm-hmm. so you know with with some speed times uh titled need for speed and i feel like speed and i'm i'm sure at some point you'll be doing a very deep dive on brady collins it's a possibility yeah okay so i look forward to reading that all right but when we look at the tweet that he sent out need for speed speed's a big part of what the <laughs> the the focus has been we've we've talked we've talked to a couple of different players that have have noticed an uptick in intensity in the weight room and and uh, the push for speed. But either way, so they did some uh, they put out some times for guys. I believe this is a looks like a top what twelve a top twelve uh, for miles per hour running. I don't know exactly how it was how it was gauged. I assume on a treadmill, but who knows? Uh, Jace Arnold was number one at twenty point seven seven miles per hour. Kate Yacamelli second at 20.28 he's now at running back and then it was the two and then it was a bunch of wide receivers right will pauling quincy burroughs keontes lewis Vinny anthony skyler bell chris books all among the top 12 and i don't know exactly what i think about it i I just when i when i see 20 i'm like is that extremely fast i'm wondering in your mind is that extremely fast uh i'm sure it is like it is hard to have a gauge on what all of this means but uh, if you're one of the fastest guys at a, a major college football program, you're pretty damn fast. Uh, the, obviously, all these guys were the best athletes at their high school. A lot of them ran track. And even going down this list, there's a reason why these guys are among the fastest. They were track athletes. Like Vinny Anthony was a state champion in the, in the state of Kentucky. And I imagine a couple of these other guys were as well. It's not surprising that wide receivers dominate this list. Generally, your skill position players, I think, should be. But there are some names on here that kind of raise your eyebrows a little bit. In general, though, I mean, this is kind of 
I don't know if it's underrated, but it is an aspect of the offseason that a lot of people never have an opportunity to see, including us as reporters. We only catch these glimpses when we see some videos put out by the official Twitter account of the football program or by the strength staff. But they're making, it seems to be, significant gains. And just because you're the fastest guy on the team doesn't mean you're going to get a lot of run. But for an early enrollee like Jay Sarnold to lead the way says a lot. And the fact that there are, what, six wide receivers in the top 11 here also says a lot. The only reason I ask is that fast. It's obviously fast. It's just like we've become trained when it comes to like Isaac Garendo or <laughs> Jonathan Taylor and both those guys. Names. And both those guys were like at in the 22 mile per hour range. I think um, Garendo's run when he was against against Eastern Michigan in 2021, he hit 22.15 miles per hour uh, on that run. Now he's just a different type of speed. And Jonathan Taylor was kind of the same thing, but this, this feels fast, and I expect I would expect that those numbers will inc- will, will get I- increase, right? I think the most amazing number out of out of all of them were two different guys. One, Braylon Allen. Uh, Braylon mm-hmm. Allen hit nineteen point seven three miles per hour. We know how big he is. I guess I don't know exactly how big he is right now. Maybe he's not two thirty five or two forty, which is what he has played at the last two years. But still, that him running that. And then Trapeon Blaylock, who we haven't seen a lot on the field in his career. There's been a lot of, not hype, but like hope for his ability to stay on the field. Just injuries have killed him. But he was at 20.06. And he tweeted, <laughs> after that got posted, he tweeted, I don't even have my speed back yet. This is, <laughs> this is you know, because he obviously tore his, he, uh, I should say he tore up his knee last spring in the in, in spring ball last year at the beginning of spring ball last year or else he i think he would have had a big role but when i'm thinking about forgotten guys that we haven't talked a ton about here this offseason he it may be at the top of the list um colin hitchler did bring him up when he was talking about some of the guys that had returning ups talked about hunter woller and kamoe latu but what trayvon Blay, blaylock would have been a big part of this defense last year and what he brings clearly speed wise and also we know how big of a hitter he can be and the size that he brings I'm, I'm kind of anxious to see him in spring. Uh, I don't know how much work he'll get. It's I know it's been a year, but we'll see ex- if he's like fully go. And I and maybe he is. Maybe he'd be full and, and ready to go and hit the ground running, and we'll get to see him a ton. But I think it's a really interesting guy because I think they can play three safeties in this defense. I think we may see it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much we'll see it. Maybe a lot. But it feels like if he's able to stay healthy, which has obviously been the biggest thing that's kept him off the field, he could be a, a difference maker. I actually, I think he is one of the most physically gifted players on the entire roster, and being physically gifted doesn't automatically equate to on-field success. There are just certain guys that come along every handful of years that are so chiseled, and 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 uh, it, it's notable. I mean, Leon Jacobs certainly comes to mind. He's probably number one all time and just most ridiculously gifted physically. But Travion was in position to start last year. And, and to, to your point, I think maybe is a, he is a bit forgotten, which speaks to what the safety group was able to do to make up for that loss and getting Kamoe Latu from Utah was a significant factor in that. But when he got hurt in spring, he was running with the ones. I think he was poised for a, a really strong season and, and now he's back. And I think he will be a significant factor. And I was talking to Coy Parrish is one of the 2024 targets. He's from Minnesota, one of the kids who visited for Wisconsin's junior day uh, at the end of January. And he said that when he talked to defensive coordinator Mike Tressel about what the plan was, and again, this is 
high school kids. I haven't talked to Trestle about this, but he said that the plan is to play with three safeties. So I would expect them to run significant snaps with three safeties on the field. And they certainly have the talent if Travion is healthy. They, I think if you're a Badgers fan, you would feel awfully good about seeing guys like Travion, Kamoe, and Hunter Wooler all on the field together. And there are going to be some other guys that have a say in that. Austin Brown is another name that we haven't talked about who was on this need for speed list. Another track athlete, um, I think, has a load of potential at safety. But Travion Blaylock hasn't gotten a lot of opportunity to be on the field because he's dealt with numerous injuries. And just when it was going to happen for him, he got hurt. But if he's healthy, he adds a ton to this group. No, no question about it. So he was one of the, again, as I said, one of the maybe forgotten guys um, the, to round out this list. And anybody that wants to see it, then obviously just go to Twitter. But Keontes Lewis is on the list at 20.11. That's not a surprise. A little bit of a long strider. I think he could potential deep threat for them um, at wide receiver. We, we saw it a little bit last year. Vinny Anthony, at, which you mentioned, I think, at 19.99. Austin Brown, 19.95. Uh, Skyler Bell was at 19.91. Chris Brooks, a big body, at 19.84. And then, obviously, Braylon Allen, as I mentioned before, at 19.73. And I think I said top 12, but it actually is, I believe, a top 11. Is that accurate? Yes. I can count. Yeah. I can count this time. Um, either way, that is... Uh, the need for speed in terms of other forgotten guys. Maybe we haven't been talking a lot about this off season. Is there anybody that, that jumps out to you? Travion Blaylock obviously is just the guy that when I saw this, I saw this post and I also saw some of the other posts that Wisconsin has put out and just his size and you're right. Physically gifted. He stood out to me. Is there anybody else that jumps out to you at all? Well, I, I almost think there's probably one at each position group that, Sure. Uh, just doesn't get that much discussion, but very much could be in the conversation in terms of key contributors. And I don't know if Cade Iacomelli is there. Certainly the speed is impressive. There there would appear to be an opening for a third running back, and maybe that's going to be Julius Davis. Maybe Jackson Aker breaks into that opportunity if he moves away from fullback and goes to running back. But like even tight ends, I think they have an opportunity to be significantly involved in the passing game for as much as we've talked about the wide receivers Phil Longo very uh, happy with utilizing tight ends. And he did so because he had three good tight ends at North Carolina last season. Somebody like Jack Pugh, a, a basketball player who's got that athleticism. And, and he, you could throw in JTC Greaves in the mix too. He did get a snap and a catch in the bowl game. Guys like that, I think, have an opportunity potentially to thrive in an offense under Longo. Um, and it is worth mentioning too that Jack Eschenbach is back, which I didn't think was it was happening. But all of a sudden you see video or photos of guys. I think it was a photo where Brady Collins was had a bunch of images of the guys who were his dudes of the week, which are dudes studs in the weight room. And, and Eschenbach was there, which was a bit of a surprise uh, just because I didn't know it was coming back for another season. Um, so that may complicate how reps get divvied up with the tight ends, but that those are a couple that come to mind in the tight end group, athletic guys who can be downfield threats, who can be versatile. I think have an opportunity to succeed in this offense. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a few others. You're right. We probably could go by position by position and do this. Um, a guy like TJ Bowlers, who kind of got buried last year just because of the numbers at the spot, but him and Aaron Witt. Yep. Especially Aaron Witt, a guy that, you know, we've been talking about since 2020, uh, and he hasn't been on the field since 2020. 
but um, and, and we'll see if he is able to ever uh, stay healthy and get on the field and, and be able to play. But some guys that are forgotten about that have kind of been buried uh, or other guys have been talked about, whether it would be like a Caden Johnson was talked about and we talked about uh, Daryl Peterson and we know about CJ gets coming back, but then, you know, TJ Boulders has uh, the athletic ability and the, and the size and everything to, you would think maybe, maybe be there. I could also see him as a guy that maybe you bulk him up and put him on the line, but I don't know that that's going to be the case uh, at this point. There Again, there's just, there's a bunch of different guys that we can see Al Ashford, a guy who, you know, there was some excitement about, but then injuries kind of uh, derailed what he's been able to do these first two years. So they, they're, they're, I think there are a number of guys throughout that are going to be interesting to watch once we get to spring ball. All right. So you also did a story this this past week on the 2019 recruiting class and re-ranking that 2019 recruiting class that was very highly touted and probably, is, is it fair to say did not live up to that? Those those rankings, there some of these guys are obviously turned out to be great players. Some did not necessarily live up to their their rankings. But can you can you give me your top five and yeah, and just make and just a little bit of explanation of why you went there? It's hard to say in retrospect uh, that the class didn't live up to expectations because I think the the funny thing about recruiting obviously is that it's clearly an inexact science and in some sense it's a crapshoot and I. I I respect what the recruiting rankings are. I know there are some people who kind of poo-poo it or brush it to the side. I think it's a, a good indicator of what people believe someone's talent level is coming out of high school and what their potential could be. But obviously, pretend, potential doesn't translate automatically into production. And there were guys who were lower ranked in the class that ended up being probably the most important in, in the class. And, and to me, that perhaps negates some of the highly rated guys who didn't pan out but the this really begins with okay Graham Mertz is here Wisconsin has Logan Brown the first five-star signing in 12 years these are going to be the anchors to a, a group that's going to lead Wisconsin to a Big Ten championship and that's not what happened uh, my top five in re-ranking number one I have Leo Chanel he was originally ranked number 10 and this was a 19-person scholarship class yeah you look at what he did and it's it's funny I um I went back and found the story that I wrote about Leo in the spring or winter of 2019 before he was going to be an early enrollee. I mean, he and his brother dominated in small town, Wisconsin football up in Grantsburg. He had a playoff game where he, I think it was, he carried the ball 42 times for over 200 yards. He threw a touchdown pass. Uh, He think he caught a handful of passes and then he recorded 22 tackles on defense it may have been the single greatest high school game uh individually in the last five years uh but i have him number one because he's the only one in this group who became an all-american he obviously was a third round nfl draft pick of the chiefs um and he just won a super bowl so that's pretty good and i think part of what's difficult about re-ranking the guys is leo was only here for three years and he only started for two years but i consider the impact that he had during the time that he was here to be number one and number two for me is keanu benton and his original rank in the class was 18th and we talked about on a a recent episode that neither one of us thought that he was going to play as a true freshman and ultimately chanel and benton were the two true freshmen who didn't need to redshirt so he's two joe Titman is one of the guys who lived up to the ranking. I have him at number three. His original rank was number three. He's leaving school early. And based on the projections for both he and Benton, they could be second or 
or third round NFL draft picks. That that feels more than likely. And uh, we were texting about this back and forth because after the top three, I I sort of wasn't necessarily sure where to go or where I should put Graham Mertz. But if you look overall, it's not the career that people at Wisconsin wanted. People would have wanted him to be number one in this class and have led the team to a playoff berth. But I have him at number four. His original rank was number two. He played more snaps than anybody in this group, 2075, and started 32 games. So it went all and said and done. Didn't live up to expectations, but still a, a decent career here. And then there are some guys that their careers aren't done. But right now, at number five, I've got Muma Jongmeta because he led the team in tackles last year. He was a starter. He's going to be a starter again. So those are my top five. I've got Logan Brown down at number 10. Um, certainly a career that uh, did not meet expectations and ended in disappointment when he was dismissed from the program. But it is uh, interesting to look back on these recruiting classes four or five years later and see how it all panned out. But this was the one that was supposed to jump jumpstart Wisconsin to, to new heights. And, and as we know, that's not what has transpired. This brings up a thought. Who is the biggest bus, not in this class, but in Wisconsin recruiting history is Logan. Does Logan have to be up there? Oh man, this is not to be, not to be mean. Um, yeah, which is not what I'm trying to do here. It's not, they didn't rank themselves, right? Right. They didn't that was exactly um, what I was going to say. So it, it's not like they chose to be a, a five-star prospect or whatever it is, but they were. So that's what we're doing here. And I, I think he has to be up there. He's not, he's not alone by any stretch. Uh, just going back through the, the top 10 list of, all-time commits at Wisconsin uh, from the 24-7 composite. Josh Oglesby is number one. He ended up being an All-Big Ten player, uh, no, despite knee injuries. Nolan Rucci, still kind of a wait-and-see. And then Logan Brown, Antosh Hawthorne, who played a ton of football at Wisconsin, Justin Oskowski, who did not. I think he may be right up there with, with Logan Brown. Travis Beckham, obviously an All-American, not at the position that he was – initially brought in for John Clay probably could have done more with his talent, but was still at all big 10 was the uh, big 10 player of the year on offense. And in, in 2009, Brett Bell, a corner who started a couple years uh, in the early two thousands, Darius Jones, who beat the piss out of me in high school. Um, <laughs> when, when he was with Beloit, have I ever told this? I probably have. This, I probably have told this story, but either no, way, I'm going to, I would like to hear it. I'm going to tell it again. Uh, for some reason, uh, as freshman, he was he he didn't play up. He played as on the freshman team, and he was a middle linebacker. And he's listed at six four two forty or at two fifty in this profile here on twenty four seven. And I'm almost positive that's what he was when he was a freshman, um, just based on uh, the way I felt after that game. Either way, I had to play center, and he blitzed. Every single play, you know, you know how Leo Chanel would just blitz every like against Army, uh, yes. you know, come out of nowhere and just blitz every single time and, and, you know, get in the backfield or blow somebody up. That's what Darius Jones did to a uh, freshman Zach Heilprin at center for Beloit. He was insane. He's the best player I, I think I've ever been on the field with. And he just beat the absolute piss out of me. Every play, every time I snapped the ball, it was just it was the worst football day of my life. And it's one of those things you don't forget largely because I think he probably went on because he went on to be a badger, but my God, 
I uh, had the biggest bruises at my butt because he put me on it every <laughs> single play, every single play, every single play. So, but he um, he ended up being like a four star player. I don't know if he lived up to the expectations that I think a lot of people had for him. He ended up being not a linebacker, grew into a defensive end. I think he ended up being like 290 or something like that. So, and then Graham is number 10. So in terms of the overall recruits, I, I think Logan, just in terms of the 24 uh, seven recruiting rankings era, I think Logan has to be up there uh, with, along with Justin Ostrowski. And again, I know it's yeah. not fair because they didn't, they, they didn't make these rankings themselves, but Got to be up there. First of all, that's a great story that I've never heard. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I think there's, again, it's hard because these guys aren't the ones making their rankings, but I do think there is a distinction to be made between all these four stars that Wisconsin has signed and the fact that Wisconsin has only had five five-star players in the history of the internet recruiting ranking year, which dates back, back 20 plus years. And I think when you, factor that into the equation there is a higher level of expectation because of how infrequent it is for Wisconsin to get these guys and the thought is if you're a five-star guy you should be a transformational player sounds a, a little much but they only hand out about 32 five-star rankings a year because they do it to mirror who could potentially be a first-round NFL draft pick and so that adds a, a layer of expectations and and when you frame it like that I I think that Brown and Strowski are probably up there uh in the running for i don't know it's hard for me to say like the biggest bust but based on what you thought was possible and, and what actually happened they've got they've got to be up there and after that i mean it's a bunch of four-star guys uh craig appleton was a high four-star player uh yeah but he, he he was actually a good player he just was a horrible human being um <laughs> Yeah. Well, he, uh, I mean, he got he got charged with murder, man. Um, so yeah, he uh, he, he obviously got kicked off the team for not murder, but uh, or <laughs> a, a, you know, attempt. Never got accused of that for getting kicked off the team. Got kicked off the team for a different reason. But it's it's yeah, that whole situation is weird because one of the other guys that got kicked off that team was Shelby Harris, who ended up at one of the uh, Illinois schools and is still playing in the NFL. He may, I mean, it's, it's kind of insane. Uh, he ended up being one of the best players in that class for Wisconsin. But when, when I look at these rankings, I'm wondering who has the best chance to make a big leap in these rankings. Do you think in, in terms of uh, my re-ranking of the 2019 class? Yes. Like, yeah. cause some of these guys are no longer here, right? Mm -hmm. uh, quite a few of them are no longer here, but there are several that, that are, I mean, you, you, you mentioned that obviously Julius Davis is a guy that has not, uh, necessarily lived up to where some people thought he could be. Geo Pies is a guy that's probably going to have an opportunity. You have him ranked 12th, has an opportunity to, to jump up. Uh, are there some other guys that could potentially rise in your rankings ahead of guys that, that you have? Like, could somebody who who in, could, potentially, <clears throat> could potentially jump Graham or maybe even jump Joe Tipman, even though it seems unlikely? Yeah. Well, there's not a ton of guys left, which is the other interesting part. And this is a fact of college football now that you're going to have a ton of transfers and, and they leave for different reasons. But that 19 person class had eight guys transfer out of the program. The most recent being Dean Ingram. Graham obviously left this off season two. And so did a handful of other guys like Samar Melvin, who's now at Michigan state. Um, a couple guys who never played Skylar Myers was here for two seconds and then left James Williams got hurt. So you've got seven 
active players left from that recruiting class. Um, and of that group, it's hard to say. I do think Gio Pius has an opportunity to earn a starting job um, at nose guard. He would certainly be next in line. He's going to have to earn it. And then I've got guys that are in the top nine or so, and I'm not sure how much their production is going to change their ranking, but Clay Cundiff, I have him at number nine. If he hadn't have suffered two devastating injuries the last two seasons, I think he would certainly be a lot higher. They're clearly their best pass catcher at the possession position. Um, and so he's in there. I've got Hayden Rucci at number eight and I've got Rodas Johnson at number seven. So those are guys that you figure will be a big part of this team this coming season. And if they play a ton of snaps and have major production, that group and Muma have a chance to move up in my mind. All right. Moving from disappointing recruits, a few of them, to, to some guys that obviously exceeded expectations. The 2024 class in Wisconsin has a couple of uh, significant names on the list. Uh, Donovan Harbor, Corey Smith, the duo from Catholic Memorial in Waukesha, a couple of uh, big-time names. Um, I don't know about must-gets for Wisconsin, but obviously very much at the top of their list. I know you're going to be doing a story. It's not out yet, but I know you're going to be doing a story because you had an opportunity to visit uh, Catholic Memorial this week. Uh, can you give us a little tease uh, on what you learned about those two guys? Sure. So that story is going to be running Friday, and hopefully we'll have an opportunity to discuss it more in depth on the next show. But I think these guys are about as good uh, of talents as Waukesha Catholic Memorial has ever had, which is saying an awful lot because Bill Young, the coach there, who's going to be in his 49th year there and his 50th year in high school coaching, uh, has sent 10 players to the Badgers over the years. I think there's a couple of things that stand out to me. Neither one of these guys is a slam dunk for Wisconsin in the way that we've seen a lot of highly regarded in-state players be over the years because they weren't Badgers fans growing up. Corey Smith said that he was an NFL fan, didn't really follow the Badgers. Donovan said he was an LSU fan growing up. And only when he got to high school did he start to learn a little bit about the history of Wisconsin. Part of the challenge in general, I think, with recruiting the best players in the state now in this modern era of college football is that they're four-star players or on the radar of national programs, basically as underclassmen, as sophomores. And so I think that allows other programs to come in here. And there are schools that are coming up here now that I don't think would have ever come up here in previous years. You you saw, what did we see? We saw Lincoln Riley up in the state of Wisconsin recruiting. You don't normally see that. Um, you know, Tennessee, Auburn, those kinds of schools have coaches coming in now. They've offered these guys. Um, but one, a couple of things else stood out to me um, is I, I had a chance to talk to Bill Young and he has made it clear to both of those guys. And he said that he will continue to stress this, that he would really like to see each of them play for Wisconsin. Um, and I think that's the sense I get from some of the other coaches on staff and the people around the program is, you know, your eyes may get wide when you get an offer from an SEC program or you come out with a top seven, but going down there is a long way from Wisconsin and it's a lot different down there. And I think the coaches up here understand, even though Luke Fickle and his staff have only been here for a couple of months, that they're going to continue uh, some of the same traditions and, and upholding what this program has stood for as the previous coaching staffs. And they feel like that this program will be really good fits for each of these guys. So 
neither guy knows what he's going to do and they don't have to know right now, but I think they're being pulled in a lot of directions where when you go to school, 75 miles from Wisconsin, and that's the only division one program in the state, everybody around them wants them to come to Wisconsin, but they have to make the best decision for themselves. But the talent is there. Donovan Harbor is 320 pounds. He's 6'5", 320. He plays left guard. He played some left tackle because there was an injury last season, but he's an interior lineman. And Smith, Bill Young said that he, of all the years he's been here uh, coaching in this state, he's the best running back he's ever seen. <laughs> that's what he said about Corey Smith. Um, and like, that's a guy whose opinion I would trust 50 years of high school coaching. So for him to say that really said a lot about the talent of Smith. Um, so that's kind of things in a nutshell. Again, I don't want to give everything away. I probably just gave most of it away, but no, you're right. I don't, I don't know that I would call them must gets for Wisconsin, but what I would say is if you're Luke fickle and like we talked about last week, you want to make in-state recruiting a pr- the priority that it's been for decades at Wisconsin you don't want to be the staff that comes in and misses out on the top two guys in the state right away. Uh, that won't be a death knell by any stretch of the imagination, but I think you'd like to come in and, and get these guys. And I think each of them can help Wisconsin. And the other thing is that adds to, I think some of the stress here is they happen to play the two positions that when you think of Wisconsin football, that's what you think of. You think of offensive linemen and you think of running backs. So there's a lot going on for them. They've got some great options. I think they're going to clearly take their time, but Wisconsin is firmly in the mix for each of those guys. And I think they're beginning to understand exactly what that would mean if they stayed home for, for them and, and their potential. If Wisconsin could only land one of them, which one would, do you think is a bigger get and more well, important get more important get? I shouldn't say bigger. Aunt, but, yeah. Cause we know which one's bigger, but <laughs> physically bigger. Yes, uh, yeah. Um, and that's the other thing. Corey Smith is, he said he's 171 pounds. So like, He's not your typical bruising running back, but he's got those characteristics. He's very physical. Um, he said people have compared him some to Barry Sanders. Like Young talked about, the way he can jump cut and split a hole and doesn't need very much time is just extraordinary. I would pick Smith because that type of talent at running back in this state, it comes along every now and then. There was a guy named Melvin Gordon not too long ago. Um, I think you've got to get Smith. Um, and with Harbor, Wisconsin's offensive line is pretty loaded right now. And, and while they've missed on a couple four-star O linemen in recent years, in the 2022 class, and it wouldn't be great for them to miss on another one, they're going to continue to get some of the best offensive linemen in the country. I think that's what they've established. So to me, I would say Corey Smith, but if you can get both, that's an awfully good way to start things off in the 2024 class. Well, do you, do you think, especially Corey Smith, because they're after some other good running mm-hmm. backs that could, that could potentially commit um, before he's ready to commit? Yep. Would they take him any time? Are they are they going to take two? I mean, I think. Well, I think they would take two, uh, because they've got losing two for sure. Yes, Malusi, Braylon Allen, like he and Fickle have talked about. The goal is to go to the NFL. Julius Davis potentially like, yeah, absolutely. I think they take two in this class if they can get two talented guys. And you're right. There are a number of other running backs that they're looking at. Uh, Marshall kid from Cincinnati uh, would be a huge get if they could get him. Um, But I think they would certainly take multiple running backs in this class. Already with the quarterback in their pocket. Is Mm -hmm. there a 
guy at the top of your list that you'd be like, if they're going to get any of these guys, get him? Um, Would it be Jordan Marshall? Yeah, it'd be okay. Jordan Marshall. Uh, I, yeah, I, I think it would be him because he could go basically anywhere and it feels like, you know, maybe that's an Ohio State type guy. That's clearly your your plan A running back. And he I think he would be my number one, because even though they're running this air raid offense, we we know, despite having not seen a spring practice, how valuable running backs are going to be for Longo. And if you can get a, a player like that, I think that's huge. So he would be my number one. All right. Um, I want to throw one other thing at you. It's it's been talked about. I, th- I think you guys actually did a, a at the athletic did a poll and maybe there's going to be a story coming or maybe I missed the story about uh, asking Big Ten fans. Who they would because obviously when they go to this new scheduling system, when UCLA and USC come in yeah, um, and protected rivals like and who who would you want those protected rivals to be? And you had a diff- bunch of different options, it, whether it's two, whether it's three. Obviously, I feel like if it's two, we know who Wisconsin's will be, right? Uh, if it's up to them, it would be Minnesota and Iowa. If it's three, who would be your third team? If if it was if, if it was up to you, I'm not I'm not asking. Sure. Uh, I'm not asking a fan. I'm asking a reporter. Who would that third team be for you? Well, I will tell you what the results were because they, each of the writers in the Big Ten had to uh, write about their reaction to what the picks okay. were. The number, th- and maybe this is running later in the week. I think it is. Um, the number three. What do you think the number three pick was among voters? Um, I hope it wasn't Nebraska. I'm guessing it wasn't, uh, or you would have just come out and said that. Um, uh, Ohio State. I don't know what. Who who would number three be? Number three pick was Nebraska. <laughs> And it just doesn't make that much sense to me, which I think I touched on briefly, just because it's the rivalry people wanted to be a thing and hasn't for a decade. Nebraska hasn't been relevant in the Big Ten. Wisconsin has won all but one matchup. And I just don't necessarily, I understand in part the hypothetical appeal of that matchup, but to make that a protected rivalry game to me just doesn't really feel like that big of a deal. And I think this is part of the challenge is I don't know what I would say the third team should be like Illinois is more intriguing of a matchup now because at least the Illini have one, two of the last four and Brett Bielema is the coach. And I mean, that's not going to be a forever thing. If you make a protected rivalry for the next 20 years or something, I would, I would pick Illinois over Nebraska, but in terms of the most interesting, yeah, I would want to see fans may not agree, but I would want to see Ohio state or, a really good team every year. Yeah. Um, I just like, that's never going to be the third protected rivalry for Wisconsin, you know, because a protected rivalry is like a traditional rivalry that you play every year. So the top two are no brainers. Minnesota was one. Iowa was number two. They make sense. They've played for a hundred plus years. They're border rivals. And the third one is where it's a real challenge to me. Uh, but I would not pick Nebraska. It's just, I don't know what number three would be like, yeah, to see USC or UCLA on there would be interesting, but I don't, I don't think that one immediately grabs me. Would one grab you if there was, if there had to be a third team? I mean, I, I wouldn't mind one of the California schools because it would just mean that you get to go to California every other year <laughs> right? Um, in the fall. But 
I don't. And that's and but here's the problem with having three, which I again I think Wisconsin could. I mean, there's 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 enough history in this conference for them to have three. I don't know if there's enough history for everybody to have three. You know, yeah. it just it feels weird, like a Rutgers or a Maryland or um even Penn State for that matter. Um, you know, there's it it would seem like you know, for them it'd be Penn State, it'd be Michigan, Ohio State, and Michigan State. But I don't know if Michigan State would look at it like that, or I don't know if Michigan would look at it like that. There's just it's a tough situation. It's it's kind of why I think they may go to they might just go with two um at the end of this. I again I have no idea. Your guy Scott Dockman, I feel like is all over that. The the Iowa beat writer. Um I feel like that's kind of an additional beat for him is uh <laughs> Big Ten schedule making and, and Big Ten uh, divisions and all that stuff, but I Iowa and Minnesota obviously for Wisconsin make a ton of sense. I would be okay with not going to Nebraska every other year, and especially again if they start winning one or two, like the, the Minnesota rivalry has turned back up because they started winning games, right. and the same thing with Illinois. Like you could, and the same thing with Iowa. If you're gonna the other team's going to win some games. It all of a sudden becomes a rivalry again, but, and maybe it will with Matt rule. Maybe it will. But as of right now, I'm, it feels forced more than anything. I think any third opponent feels forced, which is why, I mean, you might as well pick something out of a hat. And yeah. it is hard because if you want to judge off what's happening in the, the more immediate moments, you want a game that feels competitive and isn't one-sided on the other hand what you decide now it may change in five years and and to your point maybe with matt rule in charge things do change um so we'll see how it all shakes out this is the last year of the east and west divisions and wisconsin better put its best foot forward easy for me to say and and win this division and compete for a big 10 championship because it's going to get a whole heck of a lot harder in the ensuing years it would appear it definitely will. I um, one more thing on the schedule though. At sixteen, you, I guess you can you can do no divisions. Uh, that's obviously probably what they're going to do. When it gets to if it get if it gets to eighteen or twenty, wouldn't it have to go back to divisions? And then what does that look like? Oh man, this is beyond my purview. I yeah. have no idea. I can they just stay at sixteen for a while? I'm trying to wrap <laughs> my head around the college football landscape with teams joining the Big Twelve and other teams leaving conferences. Um, at a certain point, I would think that divisions would make the most sense, so you can try to even it out a little bit. Um, but without divisions, uh, this is going to be one of the most challenging, maybe the most challenging division in college football uh, mm. to try to, to try to get to a conference cha- oh, to try to get to a conference championship. I re- SEC West is well, no, they're going like, away like from the two work. though. So they're all right. Well then it's among the more challenging um, because it's not just rolling through in a year where the teams you happen to play are weaker um, every year in the big 10. And we've seen it. You're going to have two or three teams in that top 10, top 15. Uh, so to get over the hump means you're going to have to be extraordinary. And get a favorable schedule. That um, would help. <laughs> because there's still going to be years where you're not playing Ohio State, Michigan State, and Penn State every, you know, like there will be years like that uh, for certain teams. And obviously when you throw USC in there, it's unlikely that you're going to miss all four of those teams. But with 16, you never know. So, again, it's I, the scheduling is definitely going to be interesting, and we'll see um, what the new commissioner wants to do uh, 
whenever that guy is hired. Um, Cause that's obviously another huge aspect of this whole thing with the big 10 is who's going to be leading them into the next decade uh, with Kevin Warren moving on to the Chicago bears. What does this all look like? I'm anxious to see it. And uh, a lot of fans are too, but I'm more, I'm more anxious to see what things are going to look like next month when we get a chance to watch some spring ball leading up to that. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. We're going to have a chance to talk with assistants quite a bit here over the next few weeks. And uh, so we'll be able to, I think, get a little bit clearer idea on, some, on who those guys are and some of what they're about and uh, what they see within their individual rooms. So looking forward to that. Thank you, Jesse. Thanks, Zach. All right. Till next time, you've been listening to The Camp.